Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Palace Way podcast. Fuck me, I need a drink. And I'm joined by what I assume is a miserable Bruno, as always. I say as always, only only the part that I'm joined by you. I'm not actually implying that you're always miserable, only, you know, 80% of the time. How are you, Bruno? I mean, if I'm honest, so far this season, it's been quite miserable. Yeah, I think there's a pretty glum tone to this one. Right, I suppose we might as well crack this one out of the way, because... Frankly, the less I have to think about this game, the better. Um, so, Palace v Chelsea at home, it's a game, let's be honest, we really struggle with. Um, I can't remember the last time we beat them at home, let alone in general. I think in general it was 2017, actually. Um, yeah, 2-1. Uh, both home and away. Oh, right. Times. It was 2-1 both times, yeah. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. yeah, so let's be honest, our record against Chelsea has been pretty abysmal, both under Roy and under Vieira. Um, and surprisingly, the... Tune didn't really change this time out. Uh, Palace falling to a late 2-1 defeat. Courtesy of none other than a goal from guess who, Conor Gallagher. It was written in the fucking stars. Um, and not only that, but it was a sumptuous... I have to take my hat off. It was a really, really good kick um, from outside the box. But we'll get onto that in more detail. Um, I think, as always, let's just jump into the narrative. Bruno, take me through the game from start to finish. And obviously, I suppose the one big positive was a really bright start from Palace. Wow, isn't that familiar? Palace get off to an early start, get a goal up, maybe like City it's two, and then gradually start, concede a goal out of nowhere. Normally some controversy with the referee in there, and then there's a late goal to just snatch all from us, and all of a sudden the Selhurst atmosphere has been completely deflated. And I mean, I, mean, it's, I can't play a game without a million other recent games coming to mind it's just the same fucking pattern every game it's you know we we have that quick start we look good and then we just seem to collapse i mean genuine feeling amongst both the players and the fans that we're being consistently screwed over by the premier league as an organization i think it began with the obscenity that is the new five subs rule and if i'm honest i am in favor of it as a whole but the way it affects that incredible depth on the bench is just you could argue it only what well, it does it just increases the, the gap between the top teams and, and, and those uh, teams like us so you know that's point number one and then that's been followed up by what is a assortment of poor referee decisions throughout the season people playing VAR I'm fine with the technology it's just the people using it as as the phrase goes like we are in every game, um, decision or one major decision and then a lot of mini ones that just stack up against us. And it feels like we're chanting shit referee every game or like some equivalent. Like, I know I'm sort of ranting, but it's just... Well, I mean, I, I kind of have to admire it because I think you're saying what we all feel, frankly. Um, you know, there's a lot of things amiss here and... Uh, plenty to unpack in terms of what went wrong and the ways we've been shafted and just there's so much negativity around this game and you know unfortunately that is going to be the bulk of what we discuss but it's I mean, not even Vieira's fault like no not all know, of it previously no. it's been Vieira sort of making some idiotic substitution that sort of results in us throwing the game away but no in this case it was I mean that first the referee and Thiago Silva getting a infuriating and of course it's Aubameyang's first fucking goal for the club because it always fucking is right and then last minute goal Conor Gallagher he has scored two goals in two years and both of them have come against us both you know on loan at West Brom and 
first fucking goal for Chelsea too. That's two first goals against us. Like, we're just a charity club. It's always the same players, you know. It's Podence for Wolves, or it's Aitnuri's first goal, or it's every game it feels like someone's getting their debut like Shane Long came off like a nine-month golden streak to score against us once. Like every, every time there's some potential for someone to break a record or get their first goal or break a thing, it's always against <laughs> you us. You woke up feeling violent today, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, in combination with our ability to just throw away the fucking game all the time, Vieira's incompetence at making substitutions and our general inability to manage a healthy team. Nathan Ferguson has played... 10 professional top level in three years of football. <laughs> You're just throwing stuff out now, aren't you? Look, let's, um, let's just take it back a notch, um, Bruno, because there's a lot to unpack there, and I'm not saying you're unjustified much. The opposite. I think you're bang on with a lot of that. Um, let's start with the one positive, right? Let's, let's look at the first, say, 10 minutes and think about Edouard's goal and the build-up to that. You know, there were plenty of chances from both teams within that time and obviously Palace make the difference with the breakthrough. So before it all goes to shit, let's um, let's talk about that for a second. How does the goal emerge and what do you take from it? It's a- We've got good build-up play. Eze looked promising in the first sort of 15 minutes. Elise at centre-mid was an interesting decision. It allowed IU to press a lot more. Not having Schlupp made us weaker in the midfield a little bit. But I didn't sense it too much. Like, I'm, I'm happy in the Prem because that's been an area of concern it's a typical Edward goal you know getting on the end of a cross it's nice to see IU doing something creative and not fucking useless for once like yeah it's, it's a good goal it's a really good team goal you know you gotta give them that um it would be cool if we could have you know continued with that but I guess there's an element of being spoiled you know in the whole thing but We've played a lot of tough teams. It's we're going to get. They are still the top teams, but I think it's the fact that we go ahead in so many of them and then just throw it away. And it's like, well, we felt that like we had could have had our had our special result. You know, we seem to have that ability, or we have in the past, and now that's sort of fizzled out of us. We can't hold on to. Um. Yeah. It's a bit crazy, wouldn't it? That it, this sort of seven minutes of madness at the start, we had chances at both ends, really. Um, I'd say more like half chances for the most part. But then, yeah, IU obviously whips in a fantastic cross. Edward pretty much makes it himself when he gets the ball on the halfway line and charges off. Basically allows IU to borrow it before the latter then um, puts in what I have to say is a really fantastically taken cross. I mean, it was inch perfect. It reminds me of the one one game we have actually won this season against Villa where um, Mitchell put in a fantastic cross from Mateta to latch onto. You know, it was shades of that goal um, almost exactly. And again, a very thumping sort of charging effort that um, from a late arriving Edouard that then finds its way in the top corner. So, you know, it was, it was a fantastically taken goal off the back of some brilliant pressing and passing from the team. So... Um, I think, you know, there's there's a lot to be taken from that goal in terms of the chance that we create from that and what we can take going forward. Um, you have to hope that it's something we've been working on in the training and that we can generate more chances like that. Um, you mentioned a good point there about Elise and Eze as well. I mean, the lineup was fairly um, unorthodox in the midfield. I mean, the only other note really was that Anderson picked up an injury and uh, Richards wasn't even in the squad. So I can only assume both of them have small niggling things. I, I believe Anderson has a calf strain, actually. So hopefully nothing too serious. Apparently is like relatively long term, though. Oh, really? Like, yeah, I was hearing post-World um, Cup return. Post-World Cup return? You think he's going to miss? But, I mean, obviously he wow. could come back late November, which is a month and a half out. 
and then you just sort of wait the extra month for you know the World Cup to finish. But, right. Yeah. So there is still a chance he'll at least play for the for the states. Basically, that's that's I, at least something. I don't think he will, to right. be honest. And if he does, he'll probably get injured. Like that's what I mean is we haven't strengthened too much in the transfer market. Like we've brought in some good players, but depth still felt a bit iffy and we got mm. lucky last season with minimal injuries the least in the entire league the only person who was racking up days out was nathan ferguson who's paid an obscene amount of money they fuck all the time like <laughs> so harsh but i love it um richards like... ferguson anderson seems to be getting a thigh strain every other month um mitchell is made of glass every now and then it just feels like we're getting a lot of little injuries. Decorey can't last longer than 70 minutes. Um, there's, there's a little concerning thing there. It feels a little bit like that season under Roy where we had like 14 players out at one point or whatever it was. Oh, like, it was crazy, that wasn't it? That was so, so bad. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's a lot going wrong and I know it's tempting to open up that can of worms, but I think now that we've discussed the change in shape and, and a little bit there, um, I think we should move on. Um we weren't really playing with the same consistent back four that we're used to. And of course, Klein gets injured throughout. And then um, the big real takeaway, I think, with this whole Elise Eze setup was that, you know, when I first saw that, I was pretty, I don't know about you, I was quite shocked. I thought, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Surely we're playing two sort of de facto wingers slash attacking midfielders in much deeper roles with a lot more defensive responsibility. You know, my fear was that um, they'd get overrun as a midfield, torn apart by, by what is effectively a, a really narrow system by Potter that relies on occasionally inverting the wing um the wing back sorry and um certainly playing a, a strong midfield in terms of numbers so you're really leaving to Corey quite isolated but actually I felt one other big positive from the game was that they seemed to cope fairly well with it at times yeah it was, was a, an interesting decision from Vieira it seemed to pay off um no schlup was interesting him and I have been used as a Gallagher pressing replacement this season which I've mentioned uh, in the past, I mean, I mean, do you think yeah, it was the wrong time to a, take Schlepp out? I mean, that's a really interesting point there. I don't know. Um, as a midfield duo, will probably have their weaknesses exploited at some point. Um, at the end of the day, they're not the most physically imposing. You know, Schlepp's pace, Schlepp's strength, Schlepp's ability to let the ball run. Um, certain dynamism in midfield that we miss from. Uh, Alisa and Eze who are a bit more willing to go backwards and say like I don't feel like Schlapp plays many back passes whilst Alisa and Eze are happy to take their time and I don't know if that's something Vieira will uh, play out from the back philosophy but I feel like if we're going to be counter-attacking a bigger side we'd need Schlapp's, um energy and presence there yeah definitely definitely it still works like, yeah, it did work. I mean, Schlepp, Schlepp is still more complete fundamentally. Um, I was quite surprised by it. But at the same time, I think the way that Eze and Elise could link things up with, with more aptitude than, than perhaps we're used to, I think really paid off in terms of the chances we created, particularly in the first half. So there's something to be said for that. And I'm really interested for Leeds to see whether um, we can really go from there. Now, before I get onto the context of the wider season and, and what's coming ahead, because I think it is worth, and I know we don't normally, and we deliberately don't preview too much on this podcast, but... I think it is worth looking to the wider run ahead at some point, but going back a bit, um, looking at the wider context of the game, obviously things drag out. Again, there's there's consistent chances, mostly from Chelsea um, after our goal. We're really under the cosh. I certainly think by that point we had uh, around 20% possession. You know, that's only one minute in every five that we're on the ball. So we're really under the cosh in terms of 
the way in which we're we're dropping deep and allowing Chelsea to play and and I think that really showed in terms of chances from Raheem Sterling in particular and uh, I think Mount had a few as well um but most importantly it culminated in a goal just before the half-time whistle um so sort of just before the 40 minute mark Aubameyang in true Palace fashion as you say in true charity FC fashion gets off the mark from Chelsea with a very well taken goal um not you know turns skillfully and obviously places it beyond Guaita's reach um Take me through that goal and your thoughts on it. Thiago Silva shouldn't be on the pitch. I guess we'll get to that decision as well. Well, minute, we'll talk but, about him as well. Um, it's a really good striker's goal from Aubameyang. I don't really want to blame any of our defenders for it because at the end, our striker, he's not even looking at the goal. He's turned to finished it. Um, Goyita can't really do anything about it. It's a goal that feels preventable, not in how it was scored, but who was involved in it so I think that's probably what's most frustrating about it but yeah it's a really good goal no complaints I suppose the real point of complaint as as we alluded to is Thiago Silva himself because just before that goal was taken IU finds himself not quite one-on-one which I believe is why the red card wasn't given much to you know caused a lot of controversy um not least from me I was fucking pissed off when I saw it I still struggled to see how it wasn't a last man but I suppose the only saving grace is that IU is more towards the left, but you know I'm not here to play devil's advocate. I'm here for your thoughts. So take me through exactly what happened right before the uh, the Aubameyang goal. Of course, Silver getting the assist in again, typical Palace fashion. But um, take me through where IU was, build up that led to that, and what happened with VAR and Thiago Silva himself. I'm going to cause some controversy by saying I don't think it should have been a red. That's interesting. I, I've heard, um, I was speaking to one Chelsea fan in particular, um, who gave a very spirited rebuttal of me, um, that actually I think do, it does have some technical merit. And it's no, they're all biased. They, they, they don't know what they're, what they're talking about. <laughs> they, just, they just want to believe that they're always justified and they always have been, so they're not used to getting screwed up by the referee. Like, um, I mean, with the exception of obviously that Barcelona game. But... That, that famous one. Um, yeah, go on. Yeah. It... It's Jordan Ayew at a tight angle with two world-class defenders gaining on him. Jordan Ayew is known for fucking up easy chances. Like, I mean, I guess you probably shouldn't be factoring in as a referee whether or not based off what they could do to fuck it up. But, you know, I'm saying if that's Messi or Ronaldo and it's a little bit more central, then yes, it probably should be a red. But in my view, it's Jordan Ayew. He's not going to do anything with it. He was going to screw it up anyway. Like... It's also just not in a position where it can be read. I mean, it's stupid for him to use his hand to try and block it. I mean, you could argue it's a foul by IU in the first place, even though that wasn't the decision made by VAR, but I don't think they could have said that, like, because uh, it would have only been a or whatever. Like, I don't know. It's... I don't think it should have been a red. I can see why I want it to be a red. Yeah, I want them to go a man down. Yeah, we're a goal up at the time, and it's annoying that... But when I saw it live, I, I felt... Well, that's ridiculous, but it's been a red. It, I don't know. I guess the angle it was initially shown on, on TV wasn't as revealing of the fact it was last man, so to speak, but I still feel like the defender cuts across. I still feel like... ...or he misses it. I, I know they can't take that into account, but, like... Mm. I, it's just not... Um, it's probably not a red for me. It's probably the right decision. It's just of an insult to injury when he gets the assist yeah you can't help but feel that we're pinning it on 
Thiago Silva and that whole incident when in reality, like you said, there's every chance that nothing really comes of that chance anyway. If, if um, you know, if, if, if either IU isn't impeded or he is sent off, you know, there's always this lingering feeling that it was never going to make a difference anyway. But nonetheless, hugely frustrating when it's not quite obvious in, in the angles you see that people are tracking back. Um, and not least that it was a deliberate swipe as well. You have to think that it... You know, I can only assume yeah. that's what the yellow is for because, you know, he clearly deliberately swipes the ball away, which is a foul. You could argue definition. he's trying to, like, you know, classic case of picking up the ball after being fouled, thinking it's, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, but It, it I, looks know, like a deliberate blocking attempt, but at the same time... It's, I'm not so sure. I, I think he, I think he, I think he swipes it deliberately onto Ayu's leg, or and the gesture in which he does it is is, is a bent arm, and he's like clawing at it. It's it's moving away from him. I, I think it's deliberately designed to disrupt play, and you know, yeah. it's, it's I think cynical is an understatement. But as you say, I think whether it's a red card, I think you know if that's a central chance, whereas it's he's more obviously through on goal and one v one with the keeper. That would have to be a red. But I think you know when you see it back at the wide angle, you can see that he's quite far on the left flank and. Is also quite far back, which I believe was the justification given. It's the idea that he's not central, and equally with the pace of the ball and the way he's moving, there's no chance that he would be directly one for one without other people having a chance to track back. That's what I read on on verified journalists on. That's on inconsistent though, because if we compare mm. it to City away last season when Zaha got sort of tumbled by Laporte, sort of position ish. I mean, I'm saying in terms of distance from goal. Um, and in terms of nearest defenders, so that's true. I don't know, and I also feel like there's something more malicious about using arm. At the end of the day, I think the fact maybe I'm just a bit weird in thinking it's a yellow, but I think there may have been an aspect of um, not. I don't think the referee and VAR were fully objective when looking at the decision. Um, I think the players involved have had a on the outcome in the. Thiago Silva is an experienced defender and people don't really send Thiago Silva off unless he's done something unbelievably blatant or like dangerous. Mm. Um, in the same way, like I was saying earlier, Jordan I. So, You can't yeah. guarantee anything comes of that, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's right that they should be looking at it that way, but I can also see why that could have been a factor, you know? And moving on from what, let's be honest, the first half laden with controversy, rises and falls, peaks and troughs. The game rumbles on a bit. Palace continues to be under the cosh, although with slightly more possession, although we end still end the game with only 39%, which, let's be honest, isn't really fantastic considering the way we're trying to play. But then again, you're against Chelsea and a potter team that knows how to control the ball. Um, it's frankly un- it's frankly to be expected, sorry, but nonetheless Palace rumble on and uh, how was the rest of the course of the game before Gallagher's goal Bruno what did you make of the general build-up and how did Palace play how did we deal with the pressure how did we hold out that 1-1 where did you see the rest of the game going I mean not dissimilar to a few of the other results such as Brentford our second half performances have been kind of just a bit non just a bit near like really really forgettable Newcastle as well a bit of defending we had a few little dangerous moments we didn't really have any blatantly serious chances and i guess neither did they not really but i don't know it just it feels at the moment like outside of any and obscene decision nothing is really happening in our games mm. like is that is that mad am i like no no things? no but i can't i can't remember anything um, you know, a 
two goals. What, what did we do? What the mm. hell did we do? I mean, they hit the post after they scored, but that was after they scored a late goal. Like, all of our games are just so grey, boring, Burnley, forgettable at the moment. Um, it was it was an average second half. I thought we did well considering the quality of opposition, but they also really weren't on top form, and we should have capitalised on that, especially yeah. considering we got the early goal. Um, yeah, you could see the goal coming from Gallagher, couldn't you? Yeah, we'll get on to that. Um, definitely. Um, I have to agree with you there about the, the wider context here. I think most of that second half sums up Palace to date, where, you know, a Villa, Villa was the only game where I felt we played with enough fluidity and creativity and just consistency. I'm using all the Cs now. But I think a combination of all three of those were what really made us have such a, a perfect performance that was warranted with three goals and a, and a win and a decent amount of possession to boot, you know? It was the only game where I think we played how we should be playing and want to be playing. Every other game has felt like we're missing a, a, an ingredient or two. We're, you know, a few tools short of a full shed and it really did show. So there was something remarkably flat as there has been too often this season that's costing us. And I don't know whether it's because we're missing a a really sort of complete box-to-box like Conor Gallagher. I mean, I wouldn't even argue he's complete in a lot of ways, but he's only young, right? He certainly is a lot better for that role than what we have have in existing terms. And, you know, obviously well, we, we, our defence had to be reshuffled. You know, we had no Anderson and lost his passing and defending. We had to play, first of all, Ward as a makeshift and then James Tompkins. So, you know, we lost a lot of dynamism at the back too. So in general, we're really looking at a team that, is definitely missing a few ingredients. And I think it showed painfully. And it's not like we didn't have a few chances ourselves, particularly um, Elise and Eze. Both of them were sort of firing just wide of the post or, you know, cutting in or making those marauding runs. It, you know, it never really came to much, but it was certainly showing that they were pushing hard and something was, you know, could have came of it with enough uh, momentum and enough of that moment of brilliance that we just sort of lacked. But as you say about yeah. Brentford and so many other games, you know, where was that final ingredient, that final killer pass, that final brilliant touch, that amazing strike? You know, it just wasn't there and it wasn't cooking. And it was just so painful to see that, yeah, something was off, something was missing. Um, we, were, we, were just, we were just lacking in, a, in not just one, but several departments. I think the crack just starting to show. Um, I'll have to, in the interest of time, just keep it going to that Gallagher goal, but... You know, just when you think Palace are good enough to at least hold on for a point to sort of have their backs against the wall, not 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 like religiously, but enough that, you know, it was starting to show a bit in terms of possession stats and in, show, in terms of how we were losing the ball and having to sort of defend a bit deeper, you know. And then by the time you get to the end, you think, right, we can do something here. You know, we can hold on for a point. It'd be very commendable. You know, we've, we've at least sort of frustrated them. All right, it's a little bit of a consolation, all things considered. Um, and then Conor Gallagher, written in the fucking stars, like just where to even begin I mean I have to I'm I'm really begrudgingly saying this but you know you have to take your hat off to him because it was such a fantastic strike from outside the box you know obviously Pulisic cuts in on the left a bit he's been dribbling and carrying it forward um yeah shimmers in a little bit through the lines and um manages to find a bit of space with Gallagher on the edge of the box who then with one touch almost just sumptuously curls it it loops in over everyone beyond the quieter by a country mile it seems and Finds it way back into the right hand side. No, he got a hand on it. Did he get a hand on it? Yeah, it made it look better than it actually was. You're kidding. I every time I look at that, it looks like Guardiola's out the equation. But I suppose he does stretch for it. Oh God, I didn't even know that. That tells you something. Yeah, I I didn't notice it first time. But I think I think it was so faintly detectable. If it was, I mean, it it seemed like it was unstoppable in some ways. Um, 
I mean, how did you feel first and foremost? Because I know how I felt. I didn't even watch the replay. I just left. You just left. I, I just left. I just left my, my the room in which I was watching the game. Yeah. Just shut the door and left, and went upstairs and had a bit of a cry. <laughs> I think that's how I've been feeling lately about Palace. I would say generally too, but this isn't that bleak a podcast. I promise. Um, moving on, cost of living crisis, all that usual glory barks. Um, yeah, it's the whole thing. I mean, it it it. There was a there was a sort of a poetic letdown in in when that goal went in, you know. It was a poetic deflation letdown that just sums up the era's palace, doesn't it? I know it. It feels like um, I I think there's all, we can only say so much about the goal, but I think just briefly, I think this is the prime time to be looking at the wider context, as you've just hinted there. I mean, I'm starting to see a pattern I'm not liking with Vieira here. Um, whether you know, and let's let's give credit like. I had some of the best memories last season I've had as a Palace fan, and it wasn't all perfect, and there were a few letdown moments. I mean, Everton away in particular was a game that really sticks out, but there was a lot more that was showing in terms of uh, a lack of oh, quality yeah, at times. Oh, yeah, that game as another example of an le- early goal. And le- le- let's, not, let's not open that can of worms, but, um, you know, that was laden with, with tactical errors and decisions that I think are, have been amplified this season. And as we've already hinted at, there's there's been a lacking in several departments. And I think the window is to blame in that, particularly with the likes of Ferguson and Richard seemingly long-term injured and, and inconsistencies showing. But I think midfield in particular is where we're struggling. And um, I think, you know, there, there's a real worry that's starting to set in around Palace fans. Not not enough that I think, you know, when we're recording this, Leicester are playing Forest and they're thumping them. So we won't end the, ga- end the day in the relegation zone because of that. But we're 17th and we don't feel like the fourth worst team in the league. And yet... Equally, you can't really say that we deserve too much more than that, can you? I mean, no. It's just, it's complicated. Like, we have played difficult teams. We've gotten five points from three games we played against mid-table opposition. And one of those is arguably above mid-table now and is currently sitting in seventh. But... Then you look at the fact that we've had games cancelled against United and Brighton, and both those teams are in the top six. So every team we've played so far, other than Villa, who we beat, are in the top ten. Yeah, that is very true. Let's just take that into account. Like, no, they've all they've. I mean, Newcastle have been brilliant. So have Brentford. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm not, not, I'm not brilliant, even thinking... just solid. Well, it's certainly more solid draws. than we could ask for. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think their their quality has gone up in a way that ours really hasn't really shifted, basically. That's 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 the ultimate mm. problem I'm starting to see. I think personnel wise, I don't I think we've almost gone slightly backwards. Not not catastrophically so, but up to the point where, you know, we were a couple of injuries in and it suddenly we look like a much weaker team than we did last season. And it's it is concerning. But anyway, carry on, um, you know we've we've had a very we've had a very you know difficult run a commendable one I think to come out with the points we've got and but you know at the end of the day three draws and a win is you know that's passable it's okay like it's something but I definitely feel like um, well I'm going to pose this big question to you that I've been thinking for a while I mean we've got something like ten games where we're we're not really playing I don't think we're playing any of the big six or depending on rescheduling and all sorts but no but now all our players are injured and we all feel really really down downcast about the whole thing well exactly i mean this is the difficulty isn't it um i'm sure the refs will somehow have some say if i'm honest my general gripe with palace because i can't be too harsh considering everything is that all of our games since about i'll use that everton game last season as, as a benchmark um 
every game has felt scripted. Mm. It's just felt like I'm watching a episode of Ted Lasso. <laughs> it's just really boring and predictable. Every game. Arsenal have this run. Just let, just let me have it. Oh, like, yeah. We went Got 2 0 up and then we threw it away at Everton. That's that's game number one. Then of course we beat United on the final day. Of course we do. That that works. That fits the narrative. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy, by the way. I'm just saying how unbelievably predictable. We are. Yeah. Oh, goal from a set piece. Goal from an own own goal, and Arsenal go on an epic run, like that. You can see happening, right? And then what? Liverpool. We make we we looked kind of exciting, you know. I mean, we didn't got our goal and we kind of held on for it barely, even though they had a man sent off. Anderson pocketed Nunez. And then we had Villa, and it looked like we were on and up. And then since then, it sort of wetly fizzled out quite a lot. City was... We went 2-0 up at the Etihad and then conceded four goals in one half. Haaland is Haaland. He's a different fucking being. But you can't... I saw fans on Saturday going, no, we've got to take it. We played well. We just threw away a lead. Like, I don't know. You didn't even get a draw out of it. You, you We threw it away. There's nothing to even take. You, you can't take that. You, you don't take zero points because there's nothing to even take. You can't hold zero or nothing. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the God. worst That's the worst thing about this Chelsea game. I mean, above all, I, I, I think we were a bit drab, but I don't think we were disastrously bad, you know? I think we were good enough right. for something if we held on. Don't get me wrong. I think Chelsea deserved to win, ultimately. You know, I do think they were they were by far the better team, but... I don't think they rolled us over exactly. They looked like they were struggling themselves to find a breakthrough and we yeah, were Potter sort of riding the punches. Weird. Sorry? Potter looks kind of weird at Chelsea. Oh, strange, um, isn't it? It's so strange. I mean, I, mean, uh, I, I, I liked the appointment, you know? Yeah, 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 so do I. I think it's a very clever appointment if they if they back him and they stick with him long term, yeah. But anyway, go on. He's playing just a... I don't know, the football they're playing is just really forgettable. And it's, it's what Tuchel was doing as well, to be fair. So it might just be a club or players thing, but... Yeah, you know, look at the way City play. They've they've got a brand or Liverpool. They've got their high really working. It's still a Liverpool game, you know. Um, but Chelsea, it feels like they sort of get results and get goals, but you can never really remember what happened in between. Um, I can't remember the last time a Chelsea got really praised for their performance, and I guess that probably comes with Kante not being there. Um, like. Chelsea individuals don't really stand out, you know? It's like they just have little moments of quality every 90 or so minutes. Yeah. Not in, not in these sorts of games, anyway. I mean, in general, that Chelsea game is going to be forgotten by Chelsea fans in a month. And we're going to be bitter and salty about it for about two seasons to come, unless uh, Gallagher moves to us and turns into prime fucking Javi. So, yeah. God, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one. I mean... I, I, in some ways, like, I'm secondhand excited for what Potter can do at Chelsea because I think, you know, maybe this is a bit sort of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, Brexity of me, but I think it'd be good to see an English manager having a real crack at winning the title with a team that could do it. Not this season, of course not, but um, at some point, you know. Um, you know, I think they played fairly well and did the job. You know, I, I was surprised they were held by Salzburg under Potter, but there's going to be teething pains. And obviously, I think some of the personnel, particularly up top, are not a natural fit for him. But this isn't a Chelsea podcast at the end of the day. I just think it was interesting to see how they set up against us. And I think we're starting to see what Chelsea fans will certainly expect from him and what the league can expect. And 
ultimately, I just don't think we played horrendously. We just didn't really deserve anything either. It was such a strange paradox between creating half chances and taking a well, a, a sort of fluky but nonetheless well taken goal, and basically being able to ride out the punches fairly adeptly on a on a on a mediocre squad. Um, it was it was really it's not a mediocre uh, squad. Well, I think there's 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 brilliant. I think we overrate our players, yeah. But um, yeah, we do, we do, it's, we do. It's not a it's not a me- mediocre squad. Like Elise Eze, Zaha. I'm not going to say Matesha and Edward because they, but like throw Gay Anderson. Um, Abue seems a talent. I can get not playing him. He's young. He's raw. He's not really got the um the experience. But I would like to see more of him. You know, throw him out there. Um, we've got some serious in every area of our team. Decore is a fucking baller. He's come straight in and adapted immediately, albeit struggles a bit with his stamina, but he has had an immediate impact and looks class. Yeah. Like these are the players we have midfield, even though their roles don't work, it's made up of future stars or current stars. Um I mean I'm not deluded. I'm I don't think they're all gonna go on and play for Barca and sell for ninety mil. Um I don't think any of them will really they are really good players in their own right, and they exceed the um, the quality of player that you see at other clubs on a similar level to us, right? And then mm. you've got players in there like Ayu's been good. I won't deny it, but Jordan Ayu is not that sort of player. Neither is Klein. Mitchell. It's complicated. He's a hard player to talk about because he seems to fizzle in and out of different strengths. Um, Matessa and Edward are just a bit mid. I mean, Guaita seems to be one of the worst goalkeepers in Europe at the moment. He's really about he's three declining. Years. His stats are awful. Um, yeah, but is I mean, Johnson two... even the answer? Well, well, I was going to ask that, actually. I mean, is Johnson the answer? The, my, my thinking is, you know, he's got to be worth a try, but I don't think you should expect Prime Casillas somehow. The Preston Casillas. God, that would be a headline, wouldn't it? Um, no, I don't think we can expect him to, to revolutionise things. I mean, I have to say, I think I think there's nothing to be lost from trying him, but that's purely a punt rather than some sort of qualified answer. I, I just think White has been a bit off it. And I think aside from that Newcastle game where we saw what he can do, I think he's really sort of flattered to, to deceive here. And he's actually been well, a bit know, of a weak leg. Broken link. clocks right twice a day. Um, he's yeah. eventually going to make a save. Yeah, exactly. He's going to have a good game eventually. He's still got some reflexes in him. Um, uh, listen, in the interest of time, I want to wrap up with one final question. And um, obviously, I think the worst is behind us in terms of the run of games, but that doesn't mean we're exactly in the clear. We've got to actually do something with the games in front of us. So, how many wins? I think we have four games next month. How many wins do we need for Vieira to keep his job? Because I think there is an argument here that if he really underperforms and we struggle to get wins next next month, no, his, job could... his job's not in danger. His you don't think it's in danger at all? That's his job isn't in danger unless we're in the relegation zone come January, and even then, I can't see it. We're That's really committing to the philosophy. So, That's unless the players turn on him, mm. I cannot see happening because he's Patrick Vieira. I don't think we'll let go of him. That's really interesting. I mean, that, we that's a very are traditionally take. quite trigger happy, right? But mm. look at where Roy was at points. And yes, we'll send off. Let's just do it end of season. We'll be safe anyway. It's Roy. I think, yeah, I just don't think we can. I don't think it's we're talking about losing his job yet. Like, look at who he's played. He's gotten the results. He's gotten results, right? I'd say yeah. on expected points, Vieira is bang on the money he hasn't exceeded it and he hasn't failed it the issue hasn't been the results it's been the manner in which they come about yeah i reckon we dropped two villa 
shape performances in the next month. Two wins out of them, and then maybe a draw and a loss. We think, oh yeah, we're sort of thirteenth. The air is doing an okay job. Let's, um, you know, it's not particularly exciting. We've had a few games. Let's be excited about it. And maybe at that point, I don't know, Bua has game or, you know, and then suddenly we go into the World Cup feeling a bit more optimistic. Our players keep training. A few of them get international duty. We come back, and I reckon, um. The second half of the season around March, April, May is the best run of games. Um, but I reckon winter's going to be quite quite tough after the World Cup. And I reckon in the lead up to it, it'll be a bit more more positive. Like, I just don't think... I, I can't see Vieira leaving. Yeah, that's a really... I mean, I respect how strongly you back him. I mean, I have to say, I, I'm, I'm not the opposite. Don't get me wrong. I think we really do buy into his philosophy. And I still do. One thing I'll never slate him for is the foundations are clearly there. I think the squad is is buying into what he's trying to build, and I think we've somewhat adapted to that. Um, I think again last season, I think we had the better personnel for it, and I still think there's some recruitment to come in in a, in the in a few windows, and that's more a, a strategic question than anything we can really deal with now. Um, so I think we're in, you know, the, the the bigger picture is still very much on track, but um, you know, it is a results business, which is a fucking cliche that I hate, but it's true, you know. I, I think if Vieira, let's say, I mean, let's say he loses three or four games and it and it's not, he doesn't go very well and, you know, we look like we're struggling. You know, is there an argument that maybe he's only really got early November to to save himself? You know, it, it's a bit of a make or break month, is it not? If we lose, I'm just going to give me a second to just get up our fixture list. If we lose the next four games... And we're looking at sort of we'd be bottom of the league at that point, and then we've got Southampton and West Ham, and then we play for <laughs> then we play Forest, Fulham, and Bournemouth in a row. Like, I mean, to be fair, two of those games that after the um, the World Cup, but I reckon if Vieira loses that Forest game and we've only and we've gotten less than three points in the games going up to it. There would be a serious, as yeah, during the World Cup, and we might try and take that time as an opportunity to let a new manager come in and settle. But still, I really think we'll back him. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, no breaking point. Um, for for I mean, Paris let Pardew go on like a six-game losing streak, win a game, then lose another three, and then only then finally got rid of him. And that was the last, other than Frank De Boer, who was dreadful, sort of, in that we've had to make. Um, I mean, so in, in our Prem era, excluding Frank De Boer, I think Pardew's the only manager we've sacked off. Well, I guess Holloway, but... Um, Holloway and uh, Pardew are the managers we've binned due to results, right? Yeah. Um... And both of them were given extensive time. And in this case, our entire club's committed to the philosophy. It's been something we've the club's wanted to do for years. So unless Vieira completely loses the dressing room, like completely, I'm talking Mark Gahey has no faith in him, Joel Ward has no faith in him, mm-hmm. drops every game. That's when it's cause for concern. It's not even as much about the results as it is about the philosophy. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, I I think that's a very sensible take. Actually, a very, a very insightful one. 
to be honest, I really like the way you've gone about that. And that's not just me tooting your trumpet. Uh, genuinely, I think, you know, it, the philosophy has to be at least tainted or, or look like it's collapsing in a way that we didn't expect it to for things to really get bad. You know, we can we can afford to ride a rough patch or two out because we know that there's the fundaments there that are strong enough to get us back to where we can be. So, I, I you know, we have the quality for it, no doubt. We, we've gone, like I say, I think we've gone backwards just a little bit, but in terms of quality, we've still got plenty of what we had before. You know, we're not disastrously gutted of what we had. There's every reason why we can't get back on track, you know. So <laughs> edit that out. Um, but yeah, there is absolutely every reason why um, we can get back to where we want to be. Um, and ultimately, that's what's going to count most. Um, I'm going to leave it there, but thank you very much for joining me, as always, Bruno. Any final thoughts? Final words? Uh, come on, you palace. Yeah. I want to have one of those, like, ironic, like, like party things. You know what I mean? One of those, you know? Yeah. Um, right, I'm going to have several shots of whiskey to forget what I just saw um, the other night. And, uh, yeah, just up the palace, I guess. Let's hope for a better, much better October and uh, try and ride the wave out. But most importantly, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Don't actually wreck yourselves over Palace, you know. I'm not going to be that guy that says it's just a game. It's not. We all know it's not. But at the same time, God, things can only get better, right? I think there's cause for optimism. And most importantly, we're pleasure to have you along for the journey. Because let me tell you, it's going to be a journey. <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Take care and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.